if you had to pick one graph of a country's COVID infections rate from the past year to compare to your art career, which country would it be? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, if anyone hasn't realized, we're in a clubhouse room right now. <laughs> I had to leave the Ruhrraum, the silent room that's managed by Germans and is run 24-7. <laughs> It's um, true. That's one of the only recommendations I get. I get that and like a pigeon English room <laughs> suggested to me, <laughs> which I don't think I'm allowed in. <laughs> I still have no idea how to get around that app. Like, nothing of interest is suggested to me. Yeah. Um, well, we had that fun chap. Chap. Well, we chap. Did, <laughs> yeah. We did <laughs> chat with some fun chaps. A uh, friend of the pod, Ellie, and his friend Daniel. Um, and also a Seb Sebastian guy for a brief minute. Oh, yeah. Sebastian, yeah. Uh, I briefly chatted one-on-one -on -one with friend of the pod, Max Wenski. Um, but as I said, that app is just like a, a late 90s throwback in the worst way. It's like an audio-only Zoom conference. Yeah. Um, Where you can diddle yourself and no one will be the wiser. Yeah. <laughs> like upcoming for me, I have at 11 a.m. The Scoop Supplements and Weight Training followed by uh omr tech stack was oh, sorry i'm reading it in english but it's german was steckt hinter dem erfolg von rose bikes no idea what that is um yeah it's really all boring maybe i'm just not following enough people so the intersections and the overlaps kind of yield something more interesting and relevant uh well i my Recommendations are Rua Raum as well and the <laughs> Pigeon Beer Parlor. Uh, again, not for me. Um, and then for the producers and musicians, Coop House, unless they mean co-op without oh, the I, New Yorker umlaut. <laughs> Coop House, good vibes. Um, and then... I follow my friend Stefan, friend of the pod, uh, Stefan. What can we learn from data digitizing the art world too? Oh God. Uh, which at least this is in English because all those German only ones about like, how can we tokenize and Bitcoin blockchain the art world or whatever. That's um, so 2012. <laughs> also, can I say something about German Ruhraum? Let me just tell you that. <laughs> That one time I took the ICE to Hamburg, I specifically booked a seats in the quiet uh, in the quiet car. And let me just tell you, it was anything but quiet. And it let me just, guess, you got shushed. Utter, I got shushed. Utter disrespect to people's privacy and wish for quiet. Uh, there was none of that, and it was peak summer, and it was just boiling hot in the car, and of course those windows don't even crack open, uh, and there's no AC, whatever. Mm. Well, I'm taking a train next week. I can't wait. Oh my god! Did you uh, did you redeem your um, N95 mask vouchers? <laughs> <laughs> Printed on that. Uh, 
paper you print checks on, like government checks. Oh my god. Do you have to like print it out on a standardized, like officially <laughs> authorized paper or else they don't, they don't accept it? <laughs> no, apparently they sent them out to people and I think it's I don't know if everyone got one or if you're low income or what the deal is. But yeah, I saw those two coupons. I'm sure there's an easier way to do it. Um, well, I did I've buy been... six masks, <laughs> though, myself. <laughs> That's good. Uh, well, I've been hearing uh, Berlin uh, bureaucracy is digitizing, is going online. Is that true? <laughs> can you corroborate it? <laughs> yeah, you can now register your address uh, online instead of <laughs> going in person and waiting in a labyrinth of bureaucracy for no reason. Honestly, that uh, used to be such a such a special rite of passage to the newcomer in Berlin. Oh my god! Just trying to figure out that bureaucracy. Also, I'm sure now that you can do it online, it still requires you to like print out the uh, like a pre-registration on a very specific like <laughs> Dean Adzvai paper or something. Like that. Go to the post office and do a post ident check. <laughs> <laughs> Which is open uh, Monday, Mondays and Thursdays from 12 p.m. to one and a half. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who are listening and don't know, uh, Germany is one of the countries in Europe where you have to register your physical address of where you're actually living. Uh, but in other countries, for example, in Poland, where I live right now, you register your address, but this is never really required again. Like, no one's asking to see the paper of your actual address. There's other ways to verify where you live. Um, but the German system is like, oh, you want to open a bank account or go to the video store or do anything? Where is this A4 paper that you could have forged yourself? So wait, is that in Germany your sort of go-to... Uh, form of identification like your id here is or like your driver's license uh no like in germany there's national id cards but they still want another layer of confirming like you actually live in this house so we can come track you down if you like didn't pay your debt or whatever which i think is kind of pointless because you can still track people down without a physical address but also, like, in, in a city like Berlin or in young cities where people just move around constantly, how does that make sense? It just puts exactly. so much burden on people who constantly have to re-register. Well, yeah, it's it's an undue burden because there's so many people that move into apartments where they can't get the document because you need permission from the landlord now. Before, it used to be much looser, but now, like, they also want to see a copy of the contract or permission from the landlord that you're actually able to register there. Well, um, Undo Burden is Germany's middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're not bashing Germany uh, listeners. We're just uh, telling the truth of the experience. Yeah, um, true. Because, Amir, you live in the States. I grew up in Canada. Uh, there's a myriad of ways to prove where you live. Oh, absolutely. Like, like anytime that's a critical piece of information, they're like, bring in a utility bill or you know, some mail you've received at that address, which makes sense. And if you're going to be scamming that, what does it matter? Like if you're asking a friend to receive mail for you, 
there's still a way to trace you to that address. Yeah, exactly. You're not just like getting mail in a stranger's mailbox. Yeah. And I mean, as a seemingly sluggish and old fashioned uh, bureaucracy in America seems or appears to uh, anyone living outside of the States, things work pretty fast and smooth here. I will say like DMV, at least pre COVID days, is one of the most efficient places I visited, at least the one in downtown Brooklyn. And like I went through my entire like naturalization and visa processes and everything with just the it was just the easiest process ever. Like they don't just keep sending you back to get the like yeah. the right document because you brought the wrong one or whatever. Yeah. No, I um in Canada I found that was the same too. Like all those kind of government and bureaucratic processes were pretty efficient. Because if you, like you didn't have a document, they're like, Oh, well, let me check in the computer. It wasn't uh like a passive aggressive uh thing they're holding against you just why is everything so fucking analog in germany i don't know they're still faxing things but switzerland too like when covid started there was that whole thing in the news of how like everything is being faxed and they didn't know how many cases there were of covid they would weigh stacks of papers and like divide by how much a piece of A4 paper weighs. They'd be like, oh, there's three kilograms of paper here. Well, then we must have like 30,000 cases or whatever. Would they like... Like they were actually doing that. Would they stand with a horn and a mountaintop and just toot the numbers to each other? (laughs) They would ding that cowbell on a cow's neck in Morse code. Um... I was going to say something about my ex-boyfriend, but I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> um, I've only briefly been to uh, to uh, Switzerland. I passed through it on the way to the Italian Alps in my last year in, uh, in Berlin. Our good friend Sage. You've met Sage, right? Yep. She's wonderful. Great, great avid listener. Uh, friend of the know, pod. We love you, Sage. Love you, Sage. She came to visit uh, Jordan and me in our last year in Berlin, and we took a, we took a flight to i guess zurich and then we took like a train to a mountain train to like a shuttle bus that takes you like through the uh through the swiss alps into like a one-way tunnel that takes you to the <laughs> italian side um and we stayed in a like a friend's family's chalet um oh my god it was pretty beautiful i've only been in the zurich airport uh on the way to our basel miami bay <laughs> bitch <laughs> <laughs> uh wait are miami art basel or art basel basel yeah yeah my miami like the oh, one okay. we were at together have you um, ever been to basel art basel no no like my only time in switzerland was connecting in the zurich airport to go to miami that's funny yeah and which seemed appropriate uh and had a canceled flight on the way there and all this drama finally got there and then when i got home after the trip uh, it's like you owe a hundred dollars in roaming for leaving like the roaming zone of the EU and entering Switzerland, but I never got the text message. What the hell is going on in the EU? Can we please <sighs> shut know. it down until we figure it out? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I, uh, I implored them o- over the phone and they reversed the charge. I was shocked. Wow. That's amazing. Because you know, know, when, <laughs> when I first moved to Germany, I ran up a crazy like uh, Wi-Fi bill that I was just unaware of the terms oh of the agreement. 
and it was just so egregious and outrageous. They like char- wanted to charge me a thousand euros or something like that. Oh and so I had no choice but to like reach out to c- consumer affairs or like Belina Zeitung or something like that. And <laughs> I think if you still do like a deep Google search of my name, you can find my mentioning in the Belina Zeitung. They like oh completely God. they completely canceled the debt, but like you should also read the like the blurb about me. It's like um it's a tear it's a it's a tearjerker and it brings up some uh, historic atrocities let's just put it like that i was gonna say i can see where the story's going uh let's just say yeah. my people my people have suffered enough haven't my people suffered enough and now o2 is gonna do this to me maybe we can insert a moment of silence here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, speaking of atrocities. <clears throat> speaking of atrocities. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, Sterling Ruby just became the first American in over a decade to debut. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, to debut a haute couture fashion collection in Paris, according really? to... Yeah, according to our friends at our Bible, Artnet News, mm-hmm. uh, Ruby's new line alludes to the puritanical outfits of colonial America, as well as modern business and skatewear. Um, and I will just say that the title image looks basically like a Donna Wonka work, so I don't see where the puritanical nature in this is. I think I gloss uh, quickly over those images. One of them looks suspiciously like that handmaiden's hat from the show. Oh yeah, that must be his puritanical, uh... right? Yeah, and then um... honestly, I you know where I stand on fashion. I don't hate his like fashion line, whatever, whatever you call it. Yeah, it's I like offensive. this. I like this suit. Um... Below the second handmaiden. Uh, it's kind of like mint green. And well, I'm, I'm totally going blindly here because I don't even have the article pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. I yeah. Know. It doesn't need to be a $15,000 garment. I'm sorry what? I called it an atrocity. Don't cancel me, Sterling Ruby stands and dealers. Whatever. Um, here on a, another... Uh, controversial blurb from the guardian which i sent you earlier the the headline goes i'm a writer on emily in paris i may be uh, sorry i may destroy you deserved a golden globe nomination while the netflix comedy was rewarded michaela's cole michaela cole's bold series was snubbed an oversight that symbolizes a larger issue um have you seen i may destroy you I haven't, but I will check it out now. So, actually, this is uh, probably... Uh, what's that thing? There's no bad press. It's like people will actually watch the show now who haven't seen it. It's probably uh, better than actually getting a nomination. She's she's extremely talented, this Michaela Cole girl. Um, she had, I guess, a, Nef- a Netflix show before... Uh, I May Destroy You was purchased by HBO because I guess she was like fighting, like Netflix wanted to like share the copyrights or something for anything she writes and she resisted uh. it and she became like a you know progressive hero for a moment and she totally owns the rights to her uh, show on HBO. 
and it's a great show that like slowly unravels the story of her sexual uh, sexual assault and she's an amazing actress she's gorgeous the only problem with this show is that it's so intense you're yeah. like you're a hostage to this like to this unraveling trauma of hers uh we weren't even able to like finish watching it even though the like seven episodes we did watch were pretty were pretty intense and funny yeah. and whatever but like how can you it's like comparing apples to oranges emily in paris versus yeah. i may destroy you like i don't know yeah also I golden mean, globes <laughs> yeah uh the golden globes are a joke like <sighs> like what is know. that even who who's the jury or who like gets to not uh, there, shows? there there are 90 people in the hollywood foreign press association it's foreign press that's uh in la covering hollywood do people get to vote uh, via twitter survey (laughs) no (laughs) no it's just like journalists who it's just it's like a fake made-up thing it's like the the american music awards (laughs) well at least the oscars i mean i think all award shows are just fake and arbitrary in a way but yeah i mean it's it's the definition of arb it's not arbitrary but it's it's fully orchestrated it's like yeah it is and i mean there's been more meddling in the last few years with things like the grammys and the oscars where it's like oh um there's kind of an executive committee that's funneling things into what can be nominated Mm -hmm. you know so like the will of the voters isn't fully respected right but the the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and the Golden Globes is something like the Billboard Music Awards or the American Music Awards. Like it's just creating uh, an award show just to have an award show. It's not like a, an industry group of actors, directors, writers, or whatever is uh, you know giving awards to their peers like the Oscars. It's just like a completely arbitrary, made up thing. So it's uh, what's that saying about? blah 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 company like you should be lucky you weren't uh <laughs> that you, you wouldn't want to be a member of the club exactly i don't want to be a member of the, yeah exactly um but that said uh a friend of mine alexa her show unorthodox was nominated which i am very happy for her because oh amazing yeah it was a really good show and it was like constantly in the netflix top 10 worldwide which is amazing um i mean honestly i still to this day when i log on to netflix i have nothing to watch on there literally <laughs> everything repels me yeah i mean there's so much garbage content it's insane it's uh yeah i mean like um, emily in paris objectively is terrible but at the same time it's like yeah but so it was no, like it was, selling sunset and i loved it <laughs> yeah whatever it was such it was such fun fluff uh yeah but then yeah, I again, it's apples and oranges, like you said. Like, just because Emily in Paris is nominated doesn't mean like something that wasn't nominated is this huge slap in the face because Emily in Paris is there, right? Like, you know, on its own merits, that other show was disincluded. I don't think like Emily in Paris makes it worse. It's like yeah. it's a fake award show that wanted Lily Collins to show up, so of course they're gonna like nominate her because she's kind of like the star of 2020 on tv and also why would you want like the the recognition of a fake institution or a made-up sort of c- ceremony award like yeah just watch 
just watch the show like i made this show is a good important show and you'll either love it or you'll hate it and whatever you don't need to like give it an award to make it any good or uh, yeah. any better or worse yeah oh well oh well um we'll just burn that bridge when we get to it <laughs> um well i wrote down a question for you <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh god i'm on i'm on the spot now as uh as means to uh segue to our next uh our next topic but just generally it's also uh covet uh relevant if you had to pick one graph of a country's covet infections rate from the past year to compare to your art career which country would it be <laughs> <laughs> oh my god shady um <laughs> wait i'm on the new york times now because they have those little graphs that i'm always squinting at let me see yeah this could be good this could be a good art meme i think we've started something you're really smart amir <laughs> um it has to reflect global you know, cases the, it has to reflect the, fl- the fluctuations of uh, the past year of course oh totally okay let me see I'm looking at the graphs. Mm. Sorry, so much uncomfortable silence. We're just commemorating my slain people. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, wait. I'm almost there. Wait, this is tricky. Mm. <laughs> yeah yeah because because most of them sort of refresh uh like starting two months ago or a month ago okay oh you know what france france okay. is the closest elaborate please so after a period of nothingness um my career exploded in 2015 and then took a severe nosedive in 2016. <laughs> uh, and then after a period of lull, it's slowly picking up speed again. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, wait, do you see this, Amir? Uh, are you, send me are the you- link. Here, I'll send you the image. <clears throat> so, yes, that France on the New York Times kind of scatter of graphs, that's what my art career is doing. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, 2015, peaking, quick drop off after a pathetic figuration came into vogue. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, zombie abstraction gave way to zombie figuration, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, slowly rebuilding now. But, you know, life is a marathon, not a sprint. So <laughs> <laughs> good things comes come to those who wait. Exactly. And... um but it's funny. It's I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. Uh, you know how everyone's like, oh, when's Rihanna releasing R9, like her next album? Mm-hmm. And it's been so long. And there have been now three presidents since the time that she's released an album. Right. 
uh, which is insane. And then I was thinking, it was like, oh, this uh, this gallery I work with in L.A. I have not had a show with them since Rihanna released an album. <laughs> Maybe it's in your lucky stars. The next album uh, to come out is uh, going to be your next show in L.A. Yeah. Who knows? So maybe that'll happen. But yeah, it's like, what will come first? The Pashamic LA show or a Rihanna album? Maybe Hedge your bets. Maybe the new 777 tour. (laughs) Or the the Air Max. What's the... I I was just going to say the 737 Max tour. (laughs) Sad. Oh my God. Um, Well, if I had to pick one nation to... uh, describe my art <laughs> career i will have to go with the uh, western sahara <laughs> a mentally newly formed nation um and purely by that technical reason and i'm sending you the image now on iMessage <laughs> it's uh it's been at uh, almost zero cases from the get-go oh <laughs> and, uh, oh uh, Aside from minor minor blimps and glitches in the graph, mm. you have a uh, perfect plateau at level zero. <laughs> oh my god, Amir, <laughs> JK. Uh, uh, I things, feel like I'm. I feel like I'm no, more. Things of a, are climbing. I feel like I'm more of a Kiwi <laughs> in my career. I'm more of a New Zealand. <sighs> oh, Minus the accent. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I have this show known, uh, um, in Tribeca and there's an upcoming yeah. show in Mexico, which is fun. Give me I've never about. even been in a group show in New York. I, um, I don't know. It's not like a, it's not like a badge of honor. There's so much, at least pre COVID, there were so many garbage group shows, <laughs> but you're in a good one. Yeah. It's no a real garbage. Yeah. No it's a nice garbage. Show. Um, nice gallery. It's uh, it's not on the M train or the Z train. You don't have to travel for forty five minutes to see it. You're not getting a lung disease from going into a, a damp basement. Yeah, it's not in a sub cellar or a. Uh, it's not a. It wasn't a uh, Chinese dollar store that was taken over by a rich white girl from Connecticut. <laughs> um. Well, you're also close to Taylor Swift's townhouse. What if she walks in and buys work? Do you really believe she spent this whole time in New York? Like, no way. I'm sure she's hunkered down somewhere, uh, somewhere comfortable. Connecticut, Nashville. Beachside, I assume. Who's she dating these days? Joe Alwyn, I believe. Who's that? He's a British actor. Looks milk with toast. Oh, right. He looks. He looks like her. He could be like her younger sibling. <laughs> yep. He's got like a Ronan Farrow vibe. Oh my god. Um. <sighs> in, yeah. And in, and also wait, aren't you showing somewhere else international soon? Are you not oh, allowed yeah, to well, mention that yet? No, no, there's a group show coming up in Mexico City, but I'll, I'll divulge more information once it becomes uh, public. Exciting. Exciting. And I'm actually hoping to maybe uh, go down there and just uh, scope things out. I should meet you there since I'm uh, a COVID realist. 
What what does that mean? Are you COVID realist? <laughs> uh, I'm neither extreme. I'm not a denialist, and I'm not a person who's like, we need to stay at home for five months and not leave the house, and that's the only way this virus is gonna end. Uh, just whatever you do, don't listen to the Brian Lehrer show where there's daily <laughs> call-ins of people who are proud to be hunkered down and bunkered in their apartments. I mean, since basically March. 2020 and they have no intention of leaving the house anymore yeah i mean i honestly have a lot of sympathy and empathy to people who feel most safe and secure not leaving the house anymore but surely they can also see that it's insane yeah i'm just not into extremism and some people are being extremists on either side of this spectrum yeah uh yeah oh well uh should we move to our uh, theme of the day oh yes okay um so my new york gallerist sent me a link earlier this week to a article published on the spectator online on january 30th called the rise of bad figurative painting by dean kissick uh, which we both read and heavily annotated and highlighted. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and the article essentially talks about this new era of zombie figuration, and we'll, we'll explain what we which mean Which I that. believe we coined that term in 2015 ourselves. <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I l- I'm sure I can find a message where I called it zombie figuration to you. From why six would years you ago. Say, why would you say both uh you know zombie abstraction zombie figuration what's what's the meaning of zombie in that context i guess just brainless and functioning on autopilot in a way uh-huh which like is valid i think there was a lot of shitty uh zombie abstraction out there yeah. um and as there is with zombie figuration there's a lot of garbage right i think uh, the i think the zombie connotes i mean it's it's fine to be sort of brainless or like uh you know cold or deadpan even but like unironically so i think it sort of takes away from the merits of the work yeah um well a lot of the work is meritless <laughs> it is but no spoilers please we'll get to the uh the innards of the article right now can you um, get to some of your highlights? Yeah, so let, <laughs> let's just let's just uh so the uh the subheadline the subheader goes the art market is awash with paintings that look like they've been designed by algorithm. Dean Kissick on how zombie figuration became a global phenomenon. Um and just uh just a quick uh, uh disclosure I reached out to Dean on Instagram to ask him if he wanted to maybe uh come on a pod and talk about it. Haven't heard back from him, so We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we're not new models, so he's not going to appear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe he's maybe he's heard of my Western Sahara art reputation and didn't want to get involved with me. <laughs> well, as as you noticed, I think it was yesterday, he was actually in the Stefan Simkovitz Simcoe's Art Club Clubhouse chat room talking about it because Stefan uh, went off about him in stories on Instagram, basically... I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna tune into that discussion, but like 11 p.m. Eastern time is even late for me. So, yeah, and I'm sleeping when they're on at like 8 p.m. Uh, LA time. 
Like, who has the energy to blather on on and on at 11 p.m.? Well, he said he's an Android user and he has to borrow his partner Rosie's uh, iPhone because Clubhouse is iPhone only. So maybe oh, that's really? the one time of day he's allowed to use it. That's funny. Girl, get an iPad. You're rich. Like, He's a contrarian. Just let him be. Yeah. Um, okay. So, bad figurative painting is today's hottest trend. Last autumn, Artnet listed the top 10 ultra-contemporary artists, meaning those born after 1974, with the highest total auction sales so far for that year. Counting down, here are some names of artists who I've never heard of in my life. (laughs) I've heard of half of them. (laughs) I actually highlighted those I've literally had to look up because I've never heard of them. Lucas Aruda, never heard of him. Never. Gia Ailey, never Ailey. heard of them. Ayako Rukaku, never heard of her. Never heard of them. And then uh, Dana Schatz, heard of her. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually a, a neighborhood. Uh, she's a neighbor. I see. I see her in the neighborhood. She's a fixture. She's a fixture. A denizen. A Gowanus denizen. You heard it here first. <laughs> Uh, Amwako Boafo, Nicholas Party, Matthew Wong, Jonas Wood, Eddie Martinez, Adrian Genny. Just off Heard the of bat, those. Yeah. off the bat, I will say these. Uh, this list of artists is like a bag of apples and oranges. Like, did you? Yes, I agree. This is not what I think of when I think of zombie uh, figure figuration yeah. at all. Especially Eddie Martinez. Like, sorry, he's an abstract painter. Uh, sort of not a hundred percent i sort of disagree um but we'll get to that so it goes on to saying that none of them are household names sure what is it what is even a household name in the arts these days like if i ask my parents like what artist yeah do you know of they'll be like (laughs) but yeah what's the what's like the metric of household name exactly like my parents my dad was aware of like tracy emmons bed but he didn't know her name why (laughs) (laughs) i guess because it was constantly in the news but why was it in the news i I guess just because it's been so like outrageous for the average person that like it's her like messy bed with her you know menstruation debris it's just amazing how every generation completely forgets the sort of tra- the art transgressions of the previous generation. And so like Tracy Emmons bed is con- was considered at that time to be so outrageous as if nothing transgressive had, you know, taken place before yeah. it. <clears throat> well, the first kind of art outrage I remember is when the national gallery in Canada, which is funded by taxpayers, bought a Barnett Newman painting for millions of dollars mm-hmm. and everyone was outraged, which like I agree with like, really, this is your <laughs> best use of millions of dollars. Right. I don't know. Like, like when I was growing up, the, like the art transgressions that I knew of were, uh, what's his name? And uh, Andres, uh, Serrano's like, uh, oh, Piss yeah. Christ. Which, I mean, it's a, it's a I think it's a beautiful and compelling work of photography. I don't really care much for the rest of his career, especially that huge like Trump uh, Trump merch survey that he had uh, that he had oh, in yeah. an exhibition in New York like uh, three years ago. Actually, friend of the pod Stephen was working on it. Sorry if I'm uh, giving out too much information. Hey, Stephen, <laughs> uh, and also like Chris Ophelia's like virgin mary out of poop 
whatever uh if you like if you end up on like a you know transgressive artist list or whatever you have to do some like soul searching (laughs) whatever whatever anyways um (laughs) yeah so this list of artists is an apples and oranges bag sorry you can't really compare them um and then he goes on to say, right, that back in 2014, the critic Walter Robinson coined the term zombie formalism to describe a trend for market-friendly abstract painting that took the dead formalist aesthetics of mid-century abstract expressionists and brought them halfway back to life. It was soulless, going through the motions, and had nothing new to say. In our postmodernist age, wrote Robinson, real originality can be found only in the past, so we have today only its echo. <clears throat> um, like, sure, but I mean, I feel like, is there an era of art that is not an echo of its sort of predecessor or what came before it? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, it's hard to completely invent something new. Right. Like the only thing I can really think of that really was this turn was like post net art. Yeah, but that wasn't even necessarily like sure. Technically, formally, it was a uh, it wasn't even a new aesthetics. It was just a sort of the bringing it together in a form that was. I hate to use the word fresh because I don't even think it describes the work. Uh, yeah properly but back in the day for that very brief moment in time the work did feel yeah I it felt hate. well it felt fresh because it was just taking aesthetics that were like in advertising and other media right and and using them in a contemporary art context but like but even I, I like i remember the sort of the early days of this magazine and the that whole aesthetics i was still living in berlin and even then like i wasn't very knowledgeable or had a taste of my own or whatever but already then i felt like it was like a sort of cooler than thou sort of too cool oh yeah for school it, definitely aesthetics. and we were constantly eye rolling um yeah and uh, but yeah i mean we're also in this post postmodernist era where it is really about remixing and sampling sadly as pathetic as that sounds so it's just kind of like it's like yeah yeah Yeah. what spin can i put on this with like another era's aesthetic it just feels like the 80s all over again i think we're just we may be just living through a time where you're sort of the intentions and the good or bad faith or cynical or ironic faith that you put into the work is more sort of detrimental to the sort of outcome rather than the pure like technical merits of the work um but i just wish people would address why they've applied the style to the figuration because okay so you have a composition that's like queer people on a beach or like naked queer guy with a fruit bowl but it's like uh, why why did you turn it into a picasso but that's like not Lou even Fertino. a that's not even a composition that's just a subject matter. Yeah. No, no, well that's what I mean like the subject matter. So what why is your spin like a Picasso aesthetic? Right. And I think that there needs to be a reason for that. And I'm not seeing 
some rationale of why these aesthetics have been used. Mm-hmm. And of course we all have our own styles and tastes and things, but it just does seem kind of lame to be like, Oh, it's uh it's gay subject matter, but looks like a Picasso, but I've never actually addressed that. It looks like a Picasso. Right. So if there's this quotation happening, I think that sh- should be acknowledged in the work and it's not. Um, right. And then I'm uh, oh, sorry. <clears throat> Go ahead. No. And that's why I, you know, like the Salmon tour works, which I've mentioned multiple times and people think I'm a hater, but it's like, they, it's like, they feel like they're from the 1920s slash, uh, a Sanya Kantorovsky painting. And again, this is not being acknowledged in the work. It's just, it feels like an arbitrary stylistic choice that's applied onto the subject matter. I mean, I'll just say, I'll reiterate or paraphrase what I said a couple of minutes ago. I just think there's very sort of short term art history memory. So whatever work you make now, you truly perhaps think that you sort of reinvented the wheel. Yeah. Um, Because the subject matter and your sort of intention and story and sense of individuality that you inject into the work sort of is more important than, you know, anything else, basically. Um, And then the main, the the painting that's featured prominently at the top of of the article is by Emily May Smith. And he goes on to writing... Um, actually quoting Alex Greenberger, who wrote a similar essay about zombie figuration. Um, So Emily May Smith has gotten an unlikely number of artworks out of no more than recreating famous paintings with human subjects replaced by broomsticks. Her her Alien Shores 2018, which sold for a record 277,200 pounds at Phillips last autumn, shows a broomstick gazing wistfully at a cosmic sunset under twin moons. Um, my uh, dentist has a Emily May Smith in, <laughs> in one of the rooms where I got my crowns uh, done a couple of months ago. And um, I don't know, like, I, I don't know what to say. Like her work photographs very well in terms of like, you know, showing her skill. I think... Like, I just can't tell why, like, color gradients in paintings are such, like, a compelling trick on the eye. Like, I'm trying to ask, like, why are gradients... Like an Alex Israel. Yeah, like, why the popularity of gradients seems like a cop-out, almost, an enhancer. I just hate these paintings. (laughs) I'm sorry, and I don't want anyone to misconstrue this episode and be like they're only shitting on women artists because of Emily May Smith and some other artists I'm going to get to in this article. Uh, I think bad figuration is an equal opportunity crime. Oh, for sure. Uh, and everyone's <laughs> guilty across the demographic uh, spectrum. Right. And I mean, her work claims to be, uh, you know, uh, an homage to like historic art styles from like uh surrealism surrealism like some of them look like magritte's and some of them look like uh uh what's this like a like paris 20s like a um text poster what's that style called i'm totally having a senior moment now (laughs) uh like the toulouse lautrec 
like oh God, I hate those works, whatever. I, I hate seeing those at like a brasserie in Berlin. Oh, I could go for a steak at a brasserie. Now. <laughs> Me too. Um, but like, uh, I will like give her a compliment and say that her work, I find in spirit similar to like Francis Picabia's work who, you know, in his time was like all about just mimicking other, other artists work, such as like Picasso and the surrealists and his work like ended up, um, you know, in museums and you literally can't tell it apart from his, from his like peers, uh, and contemporaries. And he's, he was like essentially the, uh, of course I'm blanking on the musician's name who did the, the like Michael Jackson knockoffs and weird Al. Oh yeah. Love weird Al. Weird Al. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, but like in her case, she does something similar to what Picabia did. Only she like you know she implants her her brand onto the work, like the goggle eyes or viewfinders, whatever that is, the lips, mm-hmm. the broomstick, whatever. Uh, and if my description of the work sounds lame, just like you know, go check out the work for yourself, so you know that we're not just uh, you know lame hating. Yeah. But also, like, if you look at this broomstick wistfully looking at the moon, uh, <laughs> just ask yourself, what kind of person would pay 277, 200 pounds for this at auction? Exactly. A I mean, criminal has, or someone with bad taste? <laughs> Pick one. It's just, have, have the past two weeks with the whole sort of gamestop and other shorting schemes have they taught us nothing that if like exactly insane amounts of money are injected into something that's completely incommensurate with its actual value it's sort of eyebrow raising and you got to ask yourself some questions yeah um so this other artist mentioned in the article i was gonna say the only thing worse than this painting is sorry to name names but when you're represented by gagosian i think it's fair to punch upwards Mm -hmm. um our fellow polak eva yushkevich these like flower arrangements on faces and hair braided covering the face looking like 18th and 19th century portraiture, according to Dean Kissick. Uh, um, I I kind of like her work. <laughs> what? It looks like a juxtaposed like centerfold from 2008. <laughs> it's uh, I just see the skill in there. She, I will put in the same sort of you know corner with um. Adrian Genny, where there's clearly so much skill and talent behind it, and it's the sort of execution and maybe like lack of taste that kind of diminishes the outcome. But I just, for me, like if if there's a true sort of talent that kind of you know uh, peeks through, I have a semblance of appreciation for it. It's like uh, what's her name, Jenny Jenny Seville. Mm-hmm. Jenny Seville. How do you pronounce her name? Seville. Seville. Like I'm the assuming. Work, <laughs> the work is so extremely tacky, but I, she's it's so ta- she's yes, I agree. She's technically adept. There 
I would love to be able to paint that way. But, but it's just like th- it's taking your talent and, and just putting it in the service of just the the tackiest of products. I I'm just curious who this Gagosian. Cl- well, actually, I can imagine the Gagosian client buying these. Oh, for sure. Um, and uh, I mean, better than wasting your money on a, I don't know what, like a Matthew Wong sort of sh- shorting scheme or a cause yeah, exactly. figurine. Um, well, I hope I don't try, get canceled by the Polish yeah, art world. <laughs> yeah, try try to be a little a little more civil and open to your kinfolk. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, um, well, the art. Yeah. I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way. <laughs> sorry, I'm not being a hater. I'm just like they're so tacky. It's okay. This is a safe space. I'm sorry if she's listening. I feel <laughs> bad, and I'm glad she's uh a millionaire now <laughs> i'm I mean, sure she's art, a millionaire i would love to be a millionaire too but that's only so i can help others this is a democratic this is a democratic just field juxtapose and just, beca- just yeah, look and ju- it up <laughs> this is a democratic field and everybody's entitled to their own opinion and yes everyone's a critic but also the sort of over prevalence and omnipresence of certain artists shouldn't give anyone the wrong impression that they're are you know better or more sort of eternal in their value than anyone else um and then the article goes on to mention the 1980s german artists such as martin kippenberger and albert olin saying they joined in the 90s um Oh, sorry. So in the 80s, uh, Kippenberger and Olin played with ideas of bad painting in an ironic and knowing fashion, looking to challenge the status quo by making paintings that were even more dumb and meaningless than everyone else's. But bad painting has now become oh, the like status quo. Oh, like in Alex quo. Israel. Yeah, basically. Um, which, fine, there was a moment in time for this sort of type <sighs> of, of kind of contrarian irony sort of sarcasm in the art trying to make you believe that your eyes are not truly seeing what you think they're seeing but uh i feel like like anything else this sort of exercise has kind of exhausted itself and now we're just left with sort of the zombie phase of it which i guess is what the article is trying to essentially make in terms of argument um and like i don't know if you remember the like the new leipzig school artist in germany like Neorauch and like I dare oh, you yeah. to I dare you to Google to look up new Leipzig artists uh new Leipzig school artists there's like names on there that maybe were huge at that time but no one's heard of these days like David Schnell Tim Eitel Matthias Weisha like these were allegedly yeah. all like big artists in the 90s and look up the work it's bland doll like i honestly don't know how there's still a market out there for neil Rauch's work yeah i hate most of his paintings sorry i i also don't have like high expectations from i'm not gonna complete the sentence (laughs) you know what i do love in leipzig though what the train station which is the largest (laughs) in europe (laughs) has a fabulous pizza hut there and uh i also love this uh leipzig specialty a leipziger lersche 
which is like uh, a tart filled with marzipan. You know, kind of like a a pecan tart or butter tart or something. Like a buttery pastry with a marzipan filling and some more crust on top. I hate marzipan so much. What? (laughs) And also, I'm not allowed to have, I can't eat almonds, so. (laughs) Is that your scam test? (laughs) I'm only allowed to eat nuts that are shaped like a human brain. (laughs) Cashews. Cashews, hazelnuts, wal- walnuts. No, hazelnuts. I'm not allowed to have. Like Nutella, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to have anymore. Um, well, here's an excerpt from the article, which I would like your opinion on. Yes, um, since I'm just- a hater. <laughs> um, just as socialist realism produced accessible images of contended lives under communism, today's figurative paintings reflect the banality of modern life without passion or criticality dish <laughs> talk amongst <laughs> yourselves <laughs> i'll give you a topic <laughs> um i don't know social realism mostly was like here's people carrying bricks in a wheelbarrow and here's like a a hefty polish lady with a schmott on her head carrying some pumpkins can I ask you something? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went back to see the Vida Americano show, the Mexican muralist show at the Whitney just before it closed this past Sunday. And it dawned on me that this sort of the era of social realism post-revolution uh, in Mexico was essentially like the imagery was es- like essentializing the indigent, uh, that whole sort of era of, you know, indigenous portraiture by like Diego Rivera and like Frida Kahlo and all that stuff. Like it was basically mm-hmm. essentializing the sort of the indigenous history of those countries and kind of like a nostalgic sort of removal yeah. from its. And I guess my question to you is like, was social realism in, in the Soviet bloc, did it have, like, an element of essentialization of, like, populations that weren't, like... Yes, I was just going to say that, right? As you started talking about this, I was just going to mention that. That was definitely happening. Like, you saw that uh, even, like, uh, if you look at uh, old stamps um, mm-hmm. from, like, the 70s and 80s, even there was so much celebration of the peoples of these states, like the different ethnic minorities that made up, uh, for example, German, like East Germany or Poland, like the Kashubians and the Tatars and like the Sorbians in, you know, far East Germany. And right. so there was that aspect happening. And then this, um, for example, like, uh, I don't remember if we fully walked around the Palace of Culture and Science, which is this kind of like Stalinist-esque building in the center of Warsaw. But there's this one side of the building where there's busts of like the peoples of the world. And it's like different ethnic groups right. uh, in the different social states. So it's like the, you know, there's like a Chinese person and there's a person from a socialist aligned state in Africa and you know the various kind of like soviet minorities of central asia and those are represented um so that was definitely a big part of it of uh kind of that movement in art 
It's funny. It's like the original sort of white pri- white privilege. It's kind of like the uh, early days of uh, white privilege in 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 modern culture, where you'd yeah. sort of look outside your sort of your your social standing and depict the you know the lower classes or the yeah. uh, the disenfranchised. Yeah, but I guess like in a way they were. I think the representation. The aim, in a way, was more like, look, we're all these people of the world. Like, there was so much peace imagery right, in social realism. And then also, you know, like, a lot of doves, like, the world being nuclear disarmed, uh, different peoples of the world coexisting. Whereas, it was kind of like the original woke imagery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, whereas, at that time, that was not being represented in the West, let's say. Right. Uh, and, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, like, honestly, that huge Rockefeller Center Diego Rivera mural that was uh, that was uh, taken down after much uproar in the 50s or 60s, I guess. Like, you see the mural or the reproduction at the uh, at the Whitney. And, like, if that thing were, was still up there in 2021, like, there was such, like, intense, like, communist... Uh, imagery in that mural that shit would not fly in 2021 even oh, like totally um, oh wow i'm looking at the mural now it really looks like something that would be in a a subway station in berlin totally and it you know it features lenin and trotsky yeah, yeah, and totally. marx like hello <laughs> <laughs> no this is this is uh this feels like that uh house der Lehrers, uh in berlin yeah like it could be on the side of that like the house of teachers and this whole like zaftig aesthetic everyone's zaftig (laughs) (laughs) it's like the you know the uh introduction to botero basically (laughs) yeah they're plump and juicy yeah anywho that that was an interesting take thank you for that oh my pleasure thank you for bringing it up yeah no problem um yeah so the excerpt I read is, was saying that, uh, I'll just repeat it, just as socialist realism produced accessible images of contented lives under communism, today's figurative paintings reflect the banality of modern life without passion or criticality. Do you agree? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> is life is a uh, modern uh, contemporary art uh, depicting a life lacking passion and or criticality? Uh... I don't think it's any different than anything that was depicted depicted at any other time in history. Right. I don't know. It's I just I'm not a big fan of like scenes being depicted in paintings. Right. I don't know. I just don't care. It just doesn't like, f- it doesn't feel f- fresh anymore or sort of compelling enough outside of the small you know society groups that I guess uh the sort of the trendy figurative stuff is a uh, yeah. is appealing to like the queer figuration stuff. Like I look at that exactly. and I it just doesn't. I have no connection to that. I agree. Like again, I think there's just too much quotation happening. So it's like when you look at historical painting, the reason that was happening was because there was no other way to depict it. Like photography or film didn't exist. So how right. are you going to portray? that some battle happened or whatever you have to paint it or draw it. But now we live in an era where there's so many ways to depict a record of our time. 
so when you choose to be making a painting that's like oh me and my queer friends at the beach being queer it's just like it's too much quotation of this thing that already happened and it's not kind of alleviating the wrongs of something 500 years ago or 100 years ago or five years ago it just is a pastiche it's just unnecessary i think there's other ways to kind of engage with that subject matter also we've fallen pretty far from grace i think when in the 50s you'd have compositions featuring lenin and trotsky and marx and in 2020 you have a a composition of your shirtless collector on a fire island beach yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> which is and it's such just like a great, i don't care <laughs> it's such a great way to sell your work i mean potential collectors out there come on over i'm gonna paint a portrait of you Sh- yeah shirtless in the pines god but also it's um, like you know what's actually powerful being that queer person on the beach done not yeah, exactly. like Wait, Not actually, like, I'm, I'm going to have to push back against that. What is so powerful about being that white queer no, person in the well, Pines Well, not the white queer person, but, it, <laughs> but if, you're, if you're the person who's being othered, which uh, I'll say it, I'll go on the record, y- the milk toast white gay person is barely oppressed um, at the Pines in Fire Island. So not even, actually, not you're even, right. There is nothing. There is nothing powerful about that presence. Not even barely oppressed. Not oppressed. Period. Yeah. Period. But like, if you're the black queer trans person in Berlin at some like shitty beach, like yes, that is transgressive. But right. like you said, the Fire Island Pines, upper middle class, f word is not. So I don't right. need to see a painting of it. It's just like, find something else to paint. <laughs> and also, just on a side note, I feel like in our day and age, there's such a sort of attempt in high gear to insert your individuality or even like your own sort of persona into your work where if you take like people like, uh, sorry for the lame example, but if you take like Picasso, for example, he was so like elusive and like, you know, jumping from one style to the other, trying to sort of escape, like uh, implanting his sort of brand onto the onto the oeuvre. Yeah. Whereas in like twenty twenty one, like it's it's all about like just branding your work to death, so you're instantaneously recognizable on like a you know on a scrolling sort of platform where people just like whisk by many works. Yeah. You know, all this just reminds me of the Christina Aguilera album Stripped, um, (laughs) which I really love. I think it's one of the best pop albums of this millennium. But there's a lot of genre hopping of like all the songs are basically about the same thing. And then it's like, oh, here's my rock song. Here's my Latin flair. Here's my hip hop and R&B. Um Here's she's my like, just a re- pop she's ballad. A, she's a renaissance woman. <laughs> she just is. Well, if you had to if you had to define your brand in a, a short sentence, what would it be? <laughs> what would be your tagline elevator peach, pitch? Oh god. <clears throat> mm. what, what would you I... be best ID'd as? <laughs> the pipe person. <laughs> 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 and 
And I've never used a pipe for any reason, so... Uh, I, I'd say I'm making emotional abstract work. Mm-hmm. Abstracting my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> how would how would an outside how would an outsider ID you? Uh oh, you know what? My dad's like, I love I love this painting because it's so fun and joyful. So I, I think people see a lot of joy in it because it's colorful. You're jolly. Are you the jolly, jolly. pole? Uh, are you calling me fat? <laughs> <laughs> I have lost 10 pounds on my, on my journey. pal journey. <laughs> <laughs> my blood pressure is slowly dipping. <laughs> so where are you no longer eligible for a, one, uh, a category group for vaccination? <laughs> <in> Poland? <laughs> I'm still on the cusp. You're on the cusp, but maybe we should, uh, fly to Kaliningrad in Russia and get the Sputnik five vaccine. <laughs> We should. They say it's like 91% effective. So Exactly. My dad and I discussed that today, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, he's he's 60-something. He'll get it sooner God, such me. a youngin. I know. It's, uh, yeah. Especially when I FaceTime with him. I'm like, wow, he looks really handsome. I'm going to age well. Thank God. Well, ever since my dad started buying those over-the-counter non-prescription glasses at our <laughs> at Super Farm in Israel, Wait, just like my dad, he yeah. has like nine pairs of readers. <laughs> he looks really dashing now, even with his like um, you know uh, plaid capris, <laughs> like my dad. <laughs> it's like they they get them at the same kind of market, I think. Right? Oh, for sure. It's like a, a shady bazaar. <laughs> yeah. My dad always uh, wears these like knockoff, like uh, not even Crocs, but like some like some, leather like, cro- sandals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, these plaid capris and always a nice ill-fitting <laughs> polo shirt. But with his over-the-counter non-prescription glasses, he looks dashing. Oh, Yeah, I feel like our dads are... Uh the same bunch yeah totally and my dad's uh so my dad's uh given name was vovka in ukraine and then when they moved to israel they like you know everyone like hebrewized their names for assimilation purposes and so he changed his name to zeev which is wolf in hebrew oh that's nice and uh my dad's a wolf what can i say (laughs) he's just the wolf well, I'm glad we're going to age well, unlike some of those people on Tinder who are in their 40s and look wretched. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, anyways, when you upload this episode, maybe you can add some hashtags such as like uh, poll, BMI, jolly, <laughs> um, queer Zionist, painter, gay soutine, oppressor. Um, the options are endless. Oh, okay. I think the what? I think we've expressed our views pretty clearly. <laughs> yeah, we. Um, I'm not a hater. I just <laughs> I've just had it with a lot of things. <laughs> I just resent the fact that you know my eyes see X, and I'm forced to express Y or like think Y. <laughs> like I'm not yeah, blind. And um, so, yeah, and someone's got to say it. 
Yeah. Because we're actually you know, putting it on record. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, you know, we all feel like a broomstick um, gazing wistfully into the horizon. But uh, I other- sometimes feel like an ugly neo rauch painting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and there's and there's those days where I feel like a Lucian Smith fire hydrant explosion onto a canvas. That depends on whether I have my caffeine or not. Sometimes I catch a glimpse of myself walking into Walmart on a CCTV camera. I'm like in profile. I'm like, oh god, I look like an Alex Israel. Whenever like the one I f- in Jared and Ivanka's apartment. Oh god um well i told you uh the other day he just really I, f- I find him to be uh the doppelganger of this kyle mooney guy from snl we we could <laughs> we could post some pictures to instagram <sighs> oh well um well it's gotten shady enough here i've uh can't see anymore yeah and night has not even fallen yet yep well just uh. an, ap- an apology to our listeners uh because this episode's uh coming out a day later than usual i hope you didn't uh, wait by the phone yeah i was waiting for a mechanic uh for seven hours yesterday so and it was snowing so heavily here and i was just really busy digging out my car god um and i've been renovating my studio check which, that out on my which personal looks amazing account. oh thank you i bought um three light fixtures today they're kind of like they look like fluorescent kind of fixtures, big ones, but they're LED and you can change the color temperature. You can dim them. I'm like doing a major studio revolution. I can't believe it. And so, uh, when are you moving to Berlin? Is there a set date? In two weeks. I'm going to go help my dad uh, pick bathroom tiles for their place because they're going to move to Poland in two years. Um, so they're building a small house. And I have to make sure he doesn't make a bad uh, Euro tile choice because you know how it is in Europe. Wait, what does that look like? Oh, you know, it looks kind of like post-internet art in ceramic tile form. I'm going to have to look that up. You lived in Berlin. You've been to uh, a Girl, I've, I've erased those traumas <laughs> from uh, my memory You've been to Bauhaus, and I don't mean the Bauhaus, but I mean the hardware store. There's so much tacky shit in Europe. It's like people in America think that Europeans are so classy, and the aesthetics are like way more bleak in Europe. Um, I have to make sure he doesn't buy some like hyper glossy tile that has like metallic insets in it and like oh swooshes. <laughs> uh, um, I can't. I can't find any examples online for Euro tile. I've like I've googled the oh tile Poco Domena, but nothing comes up. Well, remember Poco Domena, just like the bleak aesthetics in there. You know, um, like when you walk yeah. by those Turkish furniture stores where everything's like diamante and like white leather and gold, in like in Kreuzberg. I honestly it's like don't that under- on a tile. Yeah, <laughs> and also the branding of all these like big box stores. There's always like a, yeah, there's always this like uber sexy model that looks like a Zytazex centerfold with like (laughs) penciled eyebrows and. Oh, you're talking about Poco Poco Domena and Daniela Katzenberg. (laughs) 
no you know her by name <laughs> yeah no relation to jeffrey katzenberg of uh dreamworks <laughs> oh my gosh Wait, she's an icon <laughs> is she a pomi what is she she's a, a pomi yeah. yeah yeah daniela katzenberg she's uh she was like the poco domain face like around the time you were living there because you lived right in front of one remember it was like one or two blocks over you're dealing with someone who's completely scrubbed all these memories. <laughs> well, when you lived in Vetting, there was that Poco Domena, like two houses behind you, basically. Right. And she was the face of the store then. And it was a bleak. It was like Trisha Paytas and Anna Nicole Smith being the face of like Ashley Furniture in America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking her up now um so yeah i'm gonna do that i'm gonna help him with the tile and i'm gonna come back next sunday i think um take care of a few things for a couple of days and then go to berlin and quarantine for five days jesus (laughs) so any listeners uh who are listening in berlin who want to go on a walk with me and get uh fried chicken to go (laughs) or drop off some care packs while you're in quarantine that's so sweet Amir. some uh some fried chicken from Riza with some feathers <laughs> on it uh, i can't wait for you to visit it'll be Same. so fun maybe we can visit in some some neutral turf <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what are you up to uh honestly nothing just really hoping it'll rain torrentially tomorrow because there's like feet feet of snow all over the city it's really hard to move around this is just adding insult to injury at this point i know no this this has made corona worse because summer was the bomb so yeah well um daddy biden was uh true was uh, uh true when he said that dark winter is coming Luckily, we're enjoying some of these, like, you know, crystal clear skies, like New York days where the sun's just so blinding. Uh, Thank God for that. Like, weather is so fleeting here. Whatever happens here is, like, bound to, like, flip the next day. Yeah. God. Can't wait. Oh, well. Um, It was nice uh, throwing some intellectual shade with you on this episode. Yeah, it was good. And well-deserved. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Choosy. Choosy. Bye. Bye.